Drama. Absolute drama. That's what summarized the Sao Paulo GP. But there's so much more to that. There's so much more madness behind the drama. And that's the intention of today's episode on the Inside Line F1 podcast and Pits to Podium. And Kunal and I are going to dive down deep into this entire race. Lewis Hamilton's performance, Mercedes's engine decisions... What happened right there? Is there favoritism from the FIA? How good was the race? How good were Ferrari and McLaren? Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot of stuff coming up right here on this episode of the Inside Line F1 podcast and Pits to Podium. Hey there, folks. Welcome back into the Inside Line F1 podcast and Pits to Podium. Finally, I'm back home, so that's a bit of a plus point. And what a race I was treated to. By the way, I just forgot. It's been a couple of minutes since this episode began and we haven't quite introduced who we are. In case you don't know, my name is Somal Arora. Uh, I think I'm the... I'm not I think so, but I am the host of The Driving Force on Disney Plus Hotstar. So there's that. And I'm joined by Kunal Shah, the former marketing head of the Force India F1 team and who currently works as the most wood consultant at the VSport Network in Norway. And Kunal, from what I can tell, this just has to be one of the most dramatic F1 weekends Necessary or unnecessary, all the drama, well, that's a different thing. But seriously, come on. Can you top that level from this one? I, I, I seriously think there's some fiesta, something about Sao Paulo that just makes it so awesome every year. I think it's it's the track, it's the atmosphere, it's the history, it's all of that. And, you know, you said there, there was a lot of controversy, a lot of dramas, and we had that on track. And off track and you know that lethal combination is what is going to make people remember the brazilian grand prix in 2021 or the sao paulo grand prix in 2021 uh for several years to come right uh lewis hamilton mercedes uh 25 overtakes wow uh, 0.2 <laughs> millimeter uh difference in the drs uh scrutineering uh, FIA alleged favoritism by you know Toto Wolff and Lewis Hamilton, Red Bull looking like they came up with a 2020 or 2019 car at the Brazilian Grand Prix, and I'm going to keep calling it Brazilian Grand Prix because hey, that's to that. Uh, I think just incredible, and you know Lewis Hamilton's pace and his attitude in Brazil in the race that we saw in the sprint and the Grand Prix is what will make Red Bull and Max Verstappen sit back and be like, what just happened there? You know, 25 overtakes is unthinkable. You know, usually we say 2021 cars, you've got to follow through people, you can't overtake, you follow closely, you damage your tires. Lewis said to hell with all of that. I'm just (laughs) going to drive the wheels of this car. And I I think that attitude with which he attacked the weekend, is what we will remember for a long, long time. And then, of course, for quiz masters like Sundaram and Nityanand and the likes, I'm sure at some point they'll ask, how many cars did Lewis Hamilton overtake in the 2021 Brazilian Grand Prix? And the correct answer would actually be 26, in my view, not 25, because he overtook Checo Perez uh, at the S's and Checo Perez overtook him back only for Hamilton to make the overtake again. So technically... It's 26, but I'm, I could be wrong. I don't know how Formula One does all the crypto.com uh, calculations, Samuel. <laughs> it's ridiculous. More than 25. It has to be more than 25 because so many cars were passed more than, I think, once at least in that case. 
just jaw dropping. But let's let's put it into context for now. Let's not waste any more time with uh, previewing the race and all that's happened. I think the meat of the discussion is in this, and it's in the title as well. Just how scary is Hamilton's turn of pace? Because all of a sudden, right, he just comes out there, blows everybody apart, and strategically Max as well later on, which is an interesting thing we shall discuss in a bit. But how does that happen? New engine, sudden bursts of pace. Of course, you have to rate this as one of Lewis's best driving performances of his entire career. And that says something considering how many good ones are there already. But still, car-wise, both of them seemed very equally matched. Driver-wise, both of them seem very equally matched at this stage. This has to be something about the engine, no? What's what's going on in there? You know, Mercedes' engine strategy is extremely, extremely enchanting, right? And I'll, I'll spend a couple of minutes explaining that in a couple of minutes, right? But the, the first thing what you, what you asked Somil was, you know, should we be scared? You know, should Red Bull, Max, Verstappen, should Formula One be scared? You know, because yeah. three races to go, 14 points. If Lewis just steamrolls his way through, we may not even have a title battle going down to the wire. And the fun part here to me, Somil, is that each time we've said this, we said this after Turkey and then, you know, Red Bull bounced yep. back in Austin. And, uh, you know, and now, you know, Brazil was supposed to be a Red Bull track all and out, uh, you know, and suddenly Mercedes said, that's it. We are a monster powered car, you know, and we'll drive like a monster on, on what's supposed to be a Red Bull track. So in a way, it's good. Everybody's, uh, you know, preconceived notions are literally falling apart. Nobody knows what's actually happening. Mercedes, Red Bull uh, themselves being included. Right. And uh, so that by that logic, I'm guessing when we go to Qatar next weekend, you know, we will we will probably be in a better position in terms of. Uh, having a fight and taking it through, but that you know, I, I must I must say one thing. Let's assume Red Bull was the quickest car uh, in uh, Austin and Mexico, and then we've got you know uh, Mercedes as the quickest car in uh, Brazil, right? But each time, none of the teams actually could score a one-two finish because the other mm-hmm. championship rival finished ahead of the number two driver, and that just shows the class of the two title rivals to me, Samuel, because, you know, Max and Lewis have been able to limit their championship damage, you know, um, by finishing second to somebody else on a day when the car is not the quickest and not finishing third and, and so on. And to me, that really stands out because they've scored, what, 11 one-twos this, this season. And I think the third race in a row when they've actually been a one-two, one-two, irrespective of who's who's on the podium. And this is despite all the performance swings that we've seen through the season, Samuel, right? And uh, so that's that. And then talking about Mercedes's engine strategy, uh, mm. I think, uh, you know, the Mercedes engine degrades faster than the Red Bull power because, uh, or Honda power. That's the reason why Mercedes is on like a fifth and a sixth engine and they were trying things with Bottas a few races ago and now they are implementing those things on Lewis's car and I think that when they put in a new engine they have a turn of pace which is what scared everyone in Brazil right and then of course the temperature was a factor and balance and so on but sticking purely to engine terms uh, uh, you know I think Mercedes's engine strategy is definitely going to raise a few eyebrows because uh, teams are encouraged within the rules to finish it within finish a season with within three power units 
but Mercedes is going all the way up to five and six, which of course comes out of their budget and so on. And the irony here is if you take a fourth power unit, you get a yeah. you know 10 players grid penalty or fourth ICE, as we call it. You take a fifth one, you get a five place penalty. You take a sixth one, you get a five place penalty. So uh, it should actually be inverse. You know, the more you use, the more you go back, right? But that's probably the strategy. Just put on new engines, have this turn of pace, you know, drop back five positions and still use the pace advantage to come up and, you know, finish up the ranks. You know, of course, it's a very risky strategy, but you saw that it it gave them rewards in, in Brazil. Reward was not just, you know, winning uh, the Grand Prix, but also having a fresher power where they can push more in the next three races of the season, Samuel. And Honda can't do that, you know, because Honda is not quite in the mix. Honda's operation is actually over and done with. So that adds another layer of intrigue about whether this resource push from Mercedes towards the end can actually get them the title. Who knows how things are actually going to pan out in that sense. But it's tremendous how much a new engine can do. But that's one side of it. The human aspect of it, Kunal. Lewis Hamilton, what, it's been nine minutes and we're now finally coming to his supernatural effort. How many? 27 overtakes? Which one of them was your favourite? Honestly, for me, it, it can't go past that Lando Norris overtake that he had right there in the sprint race, the way he just dove down in from, from, from Rio de Janeiro. I know, I don't know, that's so far away. Lewis was on fire. And, and from a driving perspective, how would you rate this as one of his top performances? Because seriously, he, they're taking complete advantage of everything. The regulations, the car, their rivals maybe not doing so good on that particular day. This is just all out top class. Even though there were penalties added on, controversy added on, you just cannot fault him at all this weekend. You can't. And, you know, we'll talk about the controversies because that became a key talking point as well. But my favorite overtake uh, was actually, uh, I would say, his battle with uh, Checo Perez and then, of course, Max Verstappen. Mm. Because with Verstappen, it's always a little over the edge. And uh, the reason why I chose Perez and Verstappen is because I believe that, you know, when the he, when Lewis was fighting against the other cars, they knew Lewis's performance advantage. And literally nobody offered him as much of mm. uh, resistance as, as the two Red Bull drivers. And to me, the Perez overtake sort of stood out because, you know, Perez let him through on turn one got a, or the, the S's, right, and got a better exit and then DRS'd his way through. And that's not something you normally see Checo Perez do, but he's done it twice this season. You know, he's showing that he's able to battle the the might of Lewis Hamilton, especially, you know, when he's got things going. So that that's what my pick would be. And you, you rightly point out, Somil, that it's not just the engine. So if anybody thinks here uh, that it was the engine that made the difference, God, no, please, it wasn't just the engine, right? Uh, it was down to the, the man machine that both of them delivered. And, and in some ways, Lewis's whole attitude this weekend was, mm. somebody's doing wrong to me. I'm going to go out and do all my talking on track because I can't do the talking uh, for obvious reasons. There's you know governing body out there. And I don't know if he was done wrong with. We should We should sort of come to that. But... Uh, there were two instances, maybe, okay, let's talk about that. There were two instances when he was probably run done wrong with. And one mm-hmm. of them is more on the sporting side of things, his whole, uh, you know, battle with Max Verstappen into turn four, how Verstappen took him out, went, and the, the FIA said, 
no investigation necessary. <laughs> and I think, yes, they let them race that, you know, that's a great thing. But I also think we have, you know, several hundreds of examples of previous such battles where drivers have been penalized for far easier infractions or far more obvious or not so obvious in, in, infractions, I would say. So I think there, there could have you know, been a penalty coming in there. I think Max got just very lucky. And this is probably just uh, going to push Lewis to believe even more so that somebody is working against him and Mercedes uh, this season so that they don't end up winning titles. And you know, he's, they, they're not so... For for once, they're not being diplomatic, like like mm. Dr. Wolf said. You know, he said the diplomacy ends now, and he's being very, very direct in accusing, or or at least not accusing, but in saying it very clearly that there is some favoritism that's being shown out here, Samuel. I I sort of get why the FIA did it, but then as you rightly mentioned, there are instances where clearly they have given penalties for I say less harsh incidents than that, right? I mean, Yuki Tsunoda got what two penalty points on his license for what happened later on. Seriously, it, th- that's two, and this isn't any. Again, that that's just my thoughts, totally my opinion. But uh, uh, it's good that they let them race. But the bad thing is consistency again. Ah, Fernando Alonso will do that for us. We we don't need to a cheap link <laughs> to the episode we did about him. Check that out when you can. After this one is done, of course. By the way, don't leave us now because the fun stuff comes up right here. But the controversy, Gunnar, uh, Toto Wolf. You, you mentioned Lewis was probably done wrong on the sporting side, and we've had a touch on that. But were they run wrong? Well, uh, well, not run wrong, but were they done wrong <laughs> on the technical side? Because clearly the rules are black and white. But what's up with Red Bull being allowed to run with the tape and? Is it is it the FIA being a little too faced over here, or, or are things as black and white as, of course, we normally perceive them to be in the world of Formula One? I think, in my limited understanding of technical regulations and scrutineering, uh, I think it's fairly black and white what happened. And the key difference, and there are two differences that I'm going to state out here. Uh, Mercedes had a wing that did not meet the regulations by 0.02 mm. That's it. That That is black and white. Mm. You do the test, and the test said Mercedes's wing opened 0.02 of a millimeter too much than it should have. And in the world of Formula One, that is enough for people to raise eyebrows, right? Of course, Mercedes turned around and then said that 0.2 mm was just on one side, which was basically, you know, where and tear that their rear wing assembly saw right and to to my mind uh that's a fair assessment as well and mercedes out here would expect from the fia to say yes we can see that your wing has been damaged just correct your rear wing assembly and we'll allow that under park for me regulations because we see that there is damage right but the qualifying statement here is that mercedes actually failed the scrutineering Right, and what I urge everyone listening in to do at some point, and I, I, I put this out on Twitter as well, is have there been instances in the past where a team was allowed such a buffer? Because that's an example that's actually not come out in the open in the last 48 hours since the FI made the decision to disqualify Lewis Hamilton. For example, was Red Bull or McLaren or, or Ferrari, were they given such a buffer when there was uh, damage found during scrutineering. 
mm-hmm. right? And talking about Red Bull's taping of the rear wings and stuff like that, they ran that in the session. The scrutineering is what happens after the session. Correct. So despite all the tapes and stuff like that, they still cleared scrutineering. The key word out here is you have to be able to clear scrutineering. When you do not clear scrutineering is when uh, the scrutineers, and they are appointed by the FIA as well, are forced to try and act, not try, are forced to act upon what they find. And that's how the sport has been policed all along. So the question is, I'm going to repeat myself, have other teams been given a buffer? If so, what are the examples, right? If there are no examples, I don't see why Mercedes was expecting uh, uh, you know, a, a buffer out here to repair mm. a damaged part. And citing Red Bull's example of taped rear wings doesn't make the cut because Red Bull used the tapes on the rear wing before scrutineering happens through a session or after a session, if I've not confused everyone too much. So much screwed screwed at the same time. I haven't heard that since I heard maybe a rapper's song or something like that. No, but that's that's one <laughs> thing. But on a more serious note, uh, I think it's it's this weird spot, right? But the rules are a bit a bit black and white where Mercedes actually fell foul of it. But my word, I I want to know more on that. I, I'm really intrigued by it, and honestly, I can't wait to see how that evolves as the days and weeks goes on. As you interact with us on social media as well, folks. So don't forget that. Wow, uh, I am stumped. But let's actually move to strategy. That's one thing I'm not quite stumped about right now. And amazingly, Kunal. After all that's happened, the strategic battle between Red Bull and Mercedes was there as well. So it's not like this was just a one-dimensional race where we just saw penalties or something like a reverse grid, but this element as well. And I loved how Max Verstappen was very prompt later on to say, I just do not want to get undercut. Maybe in hindsight, that was his failing because Hamilton towards the end, going a little bit longer, had a little bit more grip. Your thoughts on that? Uh, Just the way things played out at the end and maybe... Were Mercedes smarter or did Red Bull, uh, I don't know, kick themselves in the foot by just boxing Max a bit earlier in the last case? I I think that was the only option that Red Bull had at that point because the Red Bull uh, was was tougher on its tire than the Mercedes's. And that's what came out of the, you know, post-race calculations that, you know, people like Mark Hughes and uh, all have written down, right? And had they not uh, brought Max in when they did and sort of pulled a card on Mercedes... Uh, Mercedes would have actually undercut them at some point, right? So the only way Red Bull could have done that is by doing something unconventional, bring Max in early. They did this in Austin as well, put the pressure onto Mercedes to pit, create a gap, and then still find a, you know, try and give them as few laps in the end to make the overtake, or rather try and give as few laps in the end for Max to defend against a faster Lewis Hamilton. So I think it was actually very good on strategy, they sort of caught Mercedes unawares because immediately when Mercedes reacted to Red Bull's pit stops, both the Mercedes drivers thought that the team had done wrong. Mm. And Botas was actually like, we've done wrong. We've actually let go of an easy one-two finish. And maybe Mercedes would, you know, in hindsight, when they do their post-race debrief and they release the video of it, might just agree with that. But I love the fact that you know, Red Bull are being aggressive in strategy, especially in races when they know they might not have the the edge on rock pace sawmill. And it's amazing how that battle eventually transpired with Lewis and Max having just a great street fight in a way. And and that's what we all really love to watch. And eventually, you know, before we just head to the midfield, Vatry bought us 
on the whole weekend. Winner of the sprint, by the way, which is great to see. But would you say he overperformed, really underdeliver, all things considered, because he he lost pole position again. In it, it might not have been a Valtteri Bottas win, mind you, because Lewis Hamilton had he come along, they would have always given the team orders, which they did eventually. So credits to them for that one, but. You think P3 justifies his weekend or was that just mistake at the start a bit too costly for him? I think you know Red Bull and Mercedes would be expecting P2 from their number 2 drivers each time the number 1 drivers are winning because that's just the kind of pace the car has. Mm. But that also shows the gap between the number 1 and number 2 drivers in terms of natural talent, raw pace, performance, all of that. In my mind, I think Valtteri Bottas drove a fantastic weekend. He was able to be in the fight with Max. He took one point away from Max on on Saturday, for example, when Lewis was, you know, pulling off his overtaking masterclass. And, uh, you know, could Bottas have won if they had not swapped? Maybe, but, you know, like you said, team orders would have anyway come into play. Bottas knew about it. Lewis knew about it. Mercedes knew about it. And I think Bottas in the end did what he had to, you know, which which was get on to, get onto the podium and outscore uh, Red Bull with as many points as they can by finishing off Checo Perez. Yeah, exactly. And towards the end, apparently, they were trying to get hold of Max as well. Only 10-odd seconds the gap. Who would have known what would have happened? But what a good weekend on the whole. Yeah, what, what if he hadn't dropped the pole position? That's another thing to wonder. But another thing to ponder upon, Kunal, and this is something heading into the midfield. What's going on at McLaren? All of a sudden, all their goodwill, all their momentum, it's all just dripping down the drain. And Ferrari, again, power of numbers. Two cars constantly P5, P6. The gap between them was around one or two points a couple of weekends ago, if I remember correctly. 31 points now. That is outrageous. That's outrageous. It was just unfortunate. You know, Lando Norris opening lap, uh, actually skirmish at the start with Carlos Sainz. That sort of ruined his race. Daniel Ricciardo, a power, you know, power failure that uh, sort of he had. It was just unfortunate. And I'm just reading the numbers. McLaren have scored two points in the last two races, whereas Ferrari has scored 37 points. Yeah, and I think that's incredible. I, I think this is this is now a lost cause unless you know. Unless McLaren get another one-two in 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 the in in the next three races, to me, Samuel, and uh, I think Ferrari also did extremely well to get uh, you know P five and P six with uh, Charles and Carlos Sainz. Although Carlos Sainz wasn't the happiest because he believed that he was quicker than than Leclerc. Just that Ferrari told him all through the race to not overtake Leclerc, yeah. and that's how that's how. See, so he, he actually ended this his his. Uh, official uh, press conference line by saying, a great Sunday for Ferrari, but not personally for me. <laughs> As has been the case for the last couple of weekends. Oh man, I-, I wonder what 2022 will look like if Ferrari are competitive with these two guys at the forefront. But that's for 2022. Final couple of thoughts on this weekend, Kunal. On the midfield, on everything that happened, things are just really lining up to be, I don't know, probably the best F1 finish in the last decade, maybe even better than 2012. Who knows how this stuff is going to go? Yes, who knows? You know, we had a sprint race. I think it was a phenomenal sprint sprint oh, race did, in every yeah. way. Uh, you know, in a way, I'm glad we are going to go back to normal qualifying uh, because, uh, you know, my mind is still not accepting a sprint race as much as everyone else is. 
but all in all i think it was it was a lovely weekend for formula 1 another fantastic advertisement for formula 1 somel because uh, you know battle of the generations battle between you know the two of the best uh, teams and and the fia and and the whole the controversies and uh, the penalties and all that coming in uh, i just have one question which is unanswered which i'd love to open it up to everyone saying you know max verstappen was penalized 50000 euros for touching his and lewis hamilton's car mm-hmm. right what i want to know and if anybody can get the fia to answer this one is how much was he penalized for touching his car and how much of the 50000 euros <laughs> were were a part of touching lewis hamilton's car because i would assume that touching a rival's car actually should cost you more money than touching your own car i'm sure max touches his own car uh, i mean while in a, in a not in that sense but how much of it was for <laughs> the rear wing what's the budget like for the front wing maybe if you can open up the hood and maybe see the engine what's it like i don't know might be a good investment right for someone like aston martin inspector vettel coming along maybe learning a few tricks for the team <laughs> who knows and 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 he also had a word on that but that's just the fun element of the weekend and fun was the buzzword and i hope you had that as well while listening in and while watching to this episode of the inside line f1 podcast and pitch the podium next up is qatar so join us right there for that preview episode we shall see you there and then thank you so much for watching thank you so much for listening you know the deal if you like this episode see you around in a bit bye 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 bye